Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung in Temporary Studios in Tifton, Georgia. Great to be able to go on the air wherever we may be. Remember, Judy and I on the road traveling from state to state, city to city to hold prophecy conferences. We're going to have a one-day prophecy conference in Volusia County Baptist Church, Orange City, Florida. This is about the halfway mark here in Tifton, Georgia. We had to stop So we decided to do the broadcast from here in Temporary Studios. By the way, that Prophecy Conference, Dr. Mark Sears inviting everybody. It's a one-day Prophecy Conference, Sunday morning, 10 a.m. and then 6 p.m. in the evening with a Prophecy Q&A session at 5 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. Hope you can come and join us. This is a key time in our history to look at the prophetic truths of God's Word and how current events seemingly fit in to those items in God's Word that were pre-written by the ancient Jewish prophets. Well, we have a lot to talk about. Steve Herzig is going to join us. He's going to talk about Yom Kippur, and that's upcoming next week, and then Feast of Tabernacles after that. You need to understand the significance of these two, the last two, of the seven Jewish feasts. And then Mike Gendron's going to come along. Uh, There's been a call by the Pope for a global pact, and he wants all world leaders to sign it. I want to find out about what that is, and we'll have a conversation with Mike on that particular issue. Right now, though, let's get to Ken Timmerman. We've got a late-breaking story, Ken. Talk to me, if you will, about uh, the assassination attempt on one of the Iranian leaders, we were just talking about him, I think, last week, Suleimani, who went into Baghdad to hold a secret meeting right after the Iranians attacked Saudi Arabia. What do we know about this assassination attempt, and actually, what does it mean? Well, this is being reported by Iran's Press TV, which is a state-run uh, news agency in English. And they are claiming that uh, Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Quds Force, this is the overseas uh, expeditionary force of the Revolutionary Guard, the terrorist force, if you wish. They're in Syria, they're in Yemen, uh, they're in um, uh, um, uh, Lebanon as well. He was supposed to go to this meeting in Baghdad in September 10th. He, he went to this meeting, but as they're reporting, he was never supposed to get there because a bomb was supposed to kill him. Now, they claim it was a... a very large uh, bomb, 300 to 500 kilograms, kilograms, which is actually, you know, kind of like the bomb that the Iranians themselves used to kill Lebanese Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri. But I don't know whether this plot is true or not, but what I find even more significant than this alleged plot against uh, Soleimani, supposed to happen during Ashur, to, which would guarantee making him a Shiite martyr, even more significant was him sitting down for this interview about the 2006 war with Israel, and he said uh, that they that Iran at that time could not come to Hezbollah's aid because the U.S. was standing in the way because of its military occupation in Iraq. No, today he says that's no longer the case. So the significance that I would like to draw out of this and really. Uh, uh, point out to our listeners is that this, to me, uh, sounds like Qasem Soleimani preparing the world for this big war with Israel. The United States is no longer blocking the way by sitting there in Iraq. He has said so himself. 
So now Iran feels like it has a free hand to go against Israel directly. This is a big, big development, and you're going to see this dovetails with some of the other things we're going to be talking about this week, notably Russia and uh, their involvement in Iraq and in um, Syria as well. You know, it's also interesting to note another of the military leaders made the statement this week, a destruction of the state of Israel, no longer a dream, indicating he believes now it's a reality. This may be the setup for that. Well, let's uh, indeed talk about the possibilities of what can develop because of all that we're seeing. Huge Iranian guard base being put up, built near Baghdad for missile and drone attacks on the state of Israel. Sounds like preparations being made. Uh, Absolutely right, Jimmy. And this is being done almost openly. They've set up this base. It's called the Sheikh Mazar Air Base, just 30 kilometers south of Baghdad, and they've announced that it's going to be used for drone attacks, whether these are drone attacks against Saudi Arabia or Israel, we don't know, but certainly they could go against Israel. There's no doubt about that. The Iranians have long-range armed drones. They have cruise missiles that they can also base there. And this militia that they've got in in Iraq, the uh, Popular Mobilization Forces, is now something like 160,000 armed men. These are, are Iraqis. But there are just so many of them. It's in addition to all of the Revolutionary Guards Troop and the Iranian Revolutionary Army. So you've got now a very large ground force in Iraq capable of swinging in through Syria to threaten Israel under the orders of Iran. Can you just mention Russia and Iran? Let's talk about uh, the idea that uh, special forces are conducting joint exercises right now. Give me the details. Well, again, this is a first. We've never seen this, at least not in the open literature, that Russian and Iranian special forces in Syria are conducting combat exercises together. Never happened before. And in addition to that, and here is even more significant in my view, is that the Russians are now using the same land bridge between Iraq and Syria that Iran is using. The Russians are now bringing in heavy equipment from their bases uh, in the Black Sea, so they come south through Ossetia and Crimea and go a little bit through Iranian territory into Iraq. And from Iraq, they drive down to that border with Syria and make that border crossing at Abu Kamal. Uh, That is the land bridge the Iranians are using, and now we see the Russians using it as well for the first time. So you have, I mean, this is really right out of the book of Ezekiel, Jimmy. You've got the Russians bringing in heavy military equipment alongside the Iranians, together, not very far away from the frontiers of the state of Israel. Looks like uh, Bible prophecy jumping off of the pages of the Bible and uh, coming to reality even as we are on the air. What about, and this was an amazing celebration. I saw some of the pictures of the parade that took place in Beijing, China. But it's the 70th anniversary of China's uh, communism and it's a very mighty force that has been presented during the anniversary activities. Talk to me about China and the significance they are in this world, especially on their 70th anniversary of communism. Sure. Well, you know, I spent most of the 1990s following the Chinese military, their espionage in the United States. I wrote a book about that at the time called Selling Out America. The Chinese have gone from being a second-rate power, as they were in the 1990s, with the help of U.S. technology, which they bought and stole both, 
they are now a first-rate military power, and they showed it with this recent military parade for the 70th anniversary. I really, if anybody's interested in this, I, I really would encourage people to go and look at these pictures. They are pretty amazing. They unveiled uh, a whole slew of new strategic weapons, many of them nuclear weapons, intercontinental ballistic missile, the, the DF-41, which is capable of hitting any target inside the United States. Each one of these missiles, and, and I've heard estimates as high as 200 of them that the Chinese have made, each is capable of carrying 10 nuclear warheads. That in itself triples the, uh, the acknowledged size of China's nuclear weapons force. Okay? They have never uh, said that they had more than about 30, 30 missiles. Now if they've got 200 of these new missiles, uh, each with 10 warheads, that is just a huge, huge expansion of China's nuclear weapons force. They also unveiled a hypersonic missile, the DF-17, uh, which is capable of carrying a nuclear weapon. This is a uh, hypersonic, meaning, meaning multiples over 10 times the speed of sound, faster than any of our air defense systems or missile defense systems. This is a huge threat to the United States, Jimmy, and, and one that we do not seem to be prepared for. They've also got uh, a new drone which is uh, a hypersonic reconnaissance drone, and another one based on the, it looks like the B-2 bomber, which is an armed drone. We are seeing capabilities here from the communist Chinese military that, uh, frankly, are, are, are way beyond anything that uh, we've seen before. Talk to me just quickly, if you will, about the roadmap that is put in place now for a Chinese-Iranian strategic partnership. We are talking now about two major powers, and prophetically significant, all of them are mentioned in Bible prophecy. Right. Well, the Chinese are looking for Iran as a partner for, this, for the Silk Road, for their drive to the West, to link them uh, by land routes and by ports to the West, uh, and the Iranians are looking to China mainly for money. They're also getting weaponry from communist China, but they're looking for investment. China, people don't realize it's a communist country, but they're becoming incredibly wealthy by stealing our technology, building up manufacturing uh, capabilities, uh, destroying our own manufacturing capabilities. By the way, this is the reason, I believe, one of the main reasons Donald Trump was elected in 2016, because Americans are fed up with this. And, and now the Chinese have just trillions of dollars in excess capital to spend. The Iranians are hoping to get them to invest $400 billion in their economy. They sorely need it. Uh, and um, the, the Chinese look like they have actually inked a strategic agreement that will uh, funnel investment into Iran to keep that economy afloat despite U.S. sanctions. Folks, if you've been listening to this interview that I'm having with Ken Timmerman, you have to recognize Ken said it a moment ago. Sounds like off the pages of the book of Ezekiel. And that is right on target, Ken. And these reports that we have every single week on geopolitical activities happening around the world from Ken Timmerman are key to your understanding of what that banner over my website says, looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. A very important report, Ken. Just right on target. You hit the mark every time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to have to take a break. We'll continue to look at the Middle East. David Dolan standing by with his Middle East news update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Tifton, Georgia, told you we were on the way down to Orange City, Florida, the Volusia County Baptist Church. We're going to have an all-day prophecy conference on Sunday, 10 o'clock in the morning, 6 p.m. in the evening, a 5 p.m. prophecy Q&A time. Love to have you come and join us. Dr. Mark Sears says this will be a great opportunity for this portion in the middle part of the state of Florida near Orlando for the purpose of helping everybody understand what's happening in this world and recognize the fact of where we are in God's time for that prophetic scenario that is going to unfold seemingly very, very soon now. By the way, we're just talking with Ken Timmerman, talking about China. We're going to put up that article that Ken and I were referring to. You need to read it. It is a powerful article, many, many pictures of the military might of China today. Well, we've got other things to talk about now, looking at the Middle East with a report from David Dolan, longtime journalist in that region of the world. So glad to have David at this microphone and the broadcast table on a weekly basis. David, uh, the president, President Reuven Rivlin, made a statement this week that Israel is in a crisis, and he said, we need a government right now. I don't know if they're going to be able to form a government, a coalition government, with either of the leaders of the two leading parties, the Blue and White and the Likud. Boy, this is quite a warning from Reuven Rivlin, isn't it? Well, yes, Jimmy, and he's not just speaking, of course, out of thin air. He uh, is quoting top 
military commanders and others who are warning that a possible Iranian surprise attack upon Israel during the uh, holiday period may well be on the horizon. We have to remember it was on Yom Kippur of 1973 when a U.S. president was being impeached, uh, Richard Nixon at the time, that the Soviet Union led an attack basically, or backed an attack by Egypt and Syria, a surprise attack upon Israel. People are preoccupied with their homes and their families and going to synagogue and the sort of holiday season. So there's that. And Jimmy, it comes after the Iranians released information this week that uh, claiming at least that three unidentified suspects have been arrested in an attempt to assassinate the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, Qasem Soleimani, and they said this was an Israeli-Arab assassination plot. And there's other things, I won't go into it right now, but other reasons to think that maybe Iran is preparing for an attack, and of course Israel has no government. It does, of course, have an acting government. Prime Minister Netanyahu remains in power, and the cabinet remains as it was until a new government is formed. Nevertheless, it's an uncertain situation. Uh, Jimmy, just the political divisions between uh, the two sides there, blue and white, and the Likud and their allies on the left and then the right, are very, very deep, uh, as deep as the divisions in the United States between the Democrats and the Republicans, at least. And uh, the attempts by Netanyahu, so far a week-long attempt to form some sort of a, a coalition government, have not borne any fruit. He's stuck with less than 60 members that are with him already, his allies today and yesterday, and they've been with them quite a few years, the religious parties mainly. Uh, they're waiting and watching, but the prime minister is not able to get anybody else in. He's tried talked to Lieberman, Avigdor Lieberman of the Russian-Israel Beitenu party, Russian-speaking, I should say, party. It's an Israeli party, obviously. But um, he hasn't uh, bended uh, uh, so far, and uh, Blue and White says again they will only be part of a national unity government if Bibi Netanyahu is not part of it. In other words, if he's not prime minister, well, there's nobody else in the Likud, Jimmy. There has been talk this week of a primary to elect a new leader, possibly, but there's nobody else of anywhere near the standing that Netanyahu has in the party that could take over, and uh, he is not uh, willing to step down. So it's just a stalemate. But as I said, Jimmy, if we do, of course, if we do have uh, an Iranian attack upon Israel, uh, and this would be uh, maybe by its proxy forces, maybe by its proxy forces and Iran itself participating. That is the expectation that they themselves would send in at least missiles and rockets from Iran and from their forces in Iraq and, and of course, Lebanon and Syria and uh, the Gaza Strip, that that would immediately lead to the formation of an emergency government, a temporary government, in which case uh, Netanyahu would have more authority probably remaining as prime minister for the time being. Well, I want to get back to the Iranian threat in just a moment, David. But before we get off of the political activities there in Israel, talk to me about uh, the prime minister and the potential of an indictment. What about those problems? His legal team, 10 lawyers, meeting with the uh, attorney general there in Israel. What do we know there? 
Well, yes, the Attorney General had agreed some months ago to wait until after the second round of elections to actually press forward with the indictments. Well, the elections have been held, and so we're expecting any day this to come to the fore. It's a complicated situation. There are three separate charges against the Prime Minister. They're very detailed, very involved. They center on uh, alleged attempts by the Prime Minister to buy favor in the media. A couple newspapers are involved. There's also some charges against uh, Netanyahu's wife taking gifts that were untoward and this sort of thing. Nothing huge, nothing major, but um, certainly enough to disrupt the political system and enough to give blue and white leader Benny Gantz the opportunity to say, as he again repeated this week, that we cannot sit in a government led by a prime minister that is facing indictment. The president, uh, Reuven Rivlin, suggested that possibly, you know, Netanyahu could be appointed prime minister, but then step aside for the duration of the legal process, not resign, but just a step aside for a time being. That was suggested, but uh, Blue and White is not accepting that, is not buying that. So, Jimmy, this is just another hammer blow. And again, the Iranians, you just mentioned, we'll talk a little bit more, but they're watching all of this. They're watching what's going on in the United States as well and may be tempted to take military action precisely because of the chaos that is engulfing both Israel and the U.S. in a political way, and, of course, also Great Britain, and uh, also to a certain extent in France and Germany. So all of the Western allies of Saudi Arabia and Israel are in turmoil, and uh, those two countries themselves, of course, are also internally uh, disturbed. So not a good scene at all. Well, in fact, let me remind everybody, Netanyahu, the prime minister now, is claiming not guilty on all charges. So we'll have to see how that works out. Let's go back to the Iranian situation. Looks like right near Baghdad, the Iranians are putting up a base that would be capable of firing missiles and or drones on the state of Israel. That is quite a threatening situation, is it not? Well, it definitely is, Jimmy, and this is a existing base that pro-Iranian Iraqi militias occupy and have been there for quite some time, the Popular Mobilization Forces, as they call themselves, Shiite forces. But Iran itself has gone in there, according to the reports, and is expanding it under the guidance of the Iraqi government with the approval of the Iraqi Shiite Prime Minister Abdul Mahdi, they are doing this apparently, and they're uh, moving in missile systems, and they're going to be basing Iranian aircraft there, and of course it just means they're that much closer to Israel and Saudi Arabia, Iraq being right to the east of Jordan, and then after that to the east is Iran. So it brings them closer. So, Jimmy, it's just a a mess. And, of course, the U.S. has an air base in the area, the Al-Tamp base uh, on the Iraqi-Syrian juncture that could be attacked. And we have war games going on in eastern Syria near the Euphrates River that involve Russia openly participating. And this is not just a report from a media outlet. This is coming from the Russians themselves saying they are participating in these war games with Syrian and pro-Iranian militia forces. So a very ominous situation indeed there, and one that has to be watched very closely. Meanwhile, at the same time, tourism is shattering all previous records. They've done it each of the last three years. Uh, 
people want to go to Israel today, don't they? Record numbers of tourists, Jimmy, and also record numbers of immigrants. We haven't seen as many immigrants. Nearly 30,000 came during this last Jewish year to Israel from all over. Uh, many are coming from France now with the terrorism situation up there. And so tourists are coming and Jews are returning to live in the land. Israel will remain a state, a viable state, but she faces maybe her deadliest war ever, and that's uh, on everybody's minds. A lot of prayer is needed at this time. A lot of prayers because we are watching from the sidelines Bible prophecy in the process of being fulfilled. We are able to do that when we have David Dolan at this broadcast table to help us understand with his Middle East news update what is happening in that very important region of the world. David, thank you so very much. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Steve Herzig is going to be talking to us about Yom Kippur, the next of the Jewish Holy Days, and also the last one of those seven feast tabernacles. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Great to have you along Steve Herzig standing by. We're going to be talking about Yom Kippur and the days leading up to Yom Kippur, the awesome days. We'll do that in just a moment. And then Mike Gendron will come along. We're going to be talking about the Pope who's got a global conference that he's putting together early next year. Boy, that does sound like a prophetic scenario to me uh, that the Pope is assisting in putting together. Well, we'll get to Mike. We'll get to also John Rood covering the European Union for us. But right now, let's go to Steve Herzig. Steve, last time we were talking, it was Russia Shanai and Feast of Trumpets. Told you we'd be back for Yom Kippur, and here we are. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for asking me, Jimmy. You know, it's always neat to get a better understanding of these Jewish holy days. God had a purpose when he gave Leviticus 23 in all seven of the Jewish feasts to the Jewish people. Of course, when you get to the bottom line, he was giving a prophecy of the Messiah to come basically in each one of the Jewish feasts. Uh, they have just not paid attention to what really the Lord was trying to communicate to them. Since we talked about Rosh Hashanah and right after that, then the 10 days up till Yom Kippur, which will be on Wednesday, October the 9th, talk to me about what happens during these awesome days, these 10 days leading up to the most sacred of the Jewish feast days. 
Well, you know, Jimmy, that's a great question. You know, for believers, sin is such an important thing. We understand that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we understand that the only way for redemption is through Christ. Well, during these ten days of awe, Jewish people have sin on their mind as well. So they want to repent from the sins that they have done. And so Rosh Hashanah brings in the new year. There's repentance on their mind. They're looking to Yom Kippur as the time when their name will either be sealed in the Book of Life or in the Book of Judgment. And so for these ten days, they are doing everything they can to make up for those sins. In fact, they even go to a running creek or river and throw leavened bread in, and as far as that bread is carried away so far, they want to remove their sins from them. So these ten days are incredible days that many Christians could relate to. They are feeling the guilt, the heaviness of sin, and know that judgment is coming, and for for Judaism, that judgment day where God seals their next year, you know, either the Book of Life or the or the Book of Judgment, is a very profound day, Jimmy. One of the other things, and you and I have talked about it before, is many Jewish people seemingly they think they have offended someone who's not Jewish, so they try to contact them during those ten awesome days and endeavor to ask forgiveness. I've had that happen to me a couple of times, and wherever I am in the world, they would find me somehow and want to be forgiven for their offense. Well, let's think with the people, they're eavesdropping on our conversation, how Yom Kippur actually took place during biblical times. It's different today, but let's talk about biblical times. What happened then? Well, if your listeners take the time after they listen to you to go to Leviticus chapter 16, they're going to see a ritual that the priest, high priest was responsible for. And it's extremely important, and it is detailed. The high priest has responsibilities to wear certain clothes, certain washings that take place. And the most important thing is he'll, he'll go into the Holy of Holies, before which he will have the blood of a sacrifice, first for himself, because he's a sinner, and then for the sins of the nation. There are two goats that are taken, according to Leviticus 16. One is called the scapegoat, in Hebrew the Azizel, goat, and the other is going to be the sacrificed goat. One goat, the high priest lays his hands upon him as representatives of the nation and lays the guilt, sin of the nation, and sends the goat away. The other goat is the goat that takes the sacrifice, that is the sacrifice. And so the layout in the Torah, in Leviticus 23, in Numbers chapter 29, and in uh, Leviticus 16, all relate to what we call the Day of Atonement. And of course, Jimmy, the biblical days where the temple stood, there was a certain prescribed way to do things. Judaism today has no temple. That temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. And I can remember very clearly in Hebrew school the story from the Talmud that the rabbis taught me was that a student was standing with his uh, famous rabbi, and they were looking over the burning temple, and the student looked up at the rabbi and said, Rabbi, our our people are scattered, our temples destroyed. What will we do to atone for sin? And Jimmy, whether the story's true or not, it actually happened, because the rabbi said, from now on, that would be in 70 AD, we we will pray, we will fast, and we will give charity. Hmm. And those three things have dominated Judaism, rabbinical Judaism, 
ever since 70 A.D., governed by the law, rewritten by the rabbis, because in practice there is no temple. It's profound, Jimmy. It has affected generations of Jewish people as to how they look at sin, how they look at the Day of Atonement, and ultimately how they look at the Messiah. And also, as I understand, they have no way to sacrifice for those sins to be uh, at least those sins covered for a period of time, in the case of Yom Kippur, for one year. But uh, in addition to doing what you just told us about for Yom Kippur, without that temple, what do they do as it relates to any and all of the sacrificial activities? When I was young, Jimmy, my grandmother took me to a place where they had live chickens. She picked out a chicken and had it slaughtered, koshered, and swung the chicken over mm. her head. And mm. many, and in fact, they still practice this amongst very Orthodox Jewish people, and it's called a kapora. The blood of the chicken is supposed to be a kapora to sin. That comes right out. It's a perverted idea of what the text talked about for sacrifices. There is no sacrifice. And so Jewish people have other ways, and primarily it's through through mitzvot, good deeds, helping people, giving money to charity, trying to follow the Shabbat laws, trying to do good so that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, and with the desire that God will see that, and then your judgment will be a blessing rather than a curse. Yeah, salvation through works, not uh, by faith and because of God's grace. They need that temple to be restored on the Temple Mount. And the Messiah, Jesus Christ, according to the book of Zechariah, chapter 6 and verse 12, will come back and rebuild that temple. Verse 13, he'll rule and reign from his millennial temple, the Messiah's temple, forever and ever. Well, because of what you've just explained to us, how would you approach a Jewish friend, if you were us, Steve, in order to introduce the true Messiah to them? Well, one thing I would do, Jimmy, is for them to understand that Jewish people celebrating this day are in their synagogues confessing their sin. They have sin on their mind, and they desire repentance. And I think that's a great time for us as believers to admire that, and admire a people who are cognizant of their falling short of God, and to wish them a, a wonderful Happy New Year, to thank them for their interest in pleasing God, and to use that as a segue to just wish them a wonderful year and a, and a wonderful holiday, and to also tell them that they themselves have found peace, that they themselves have found forgiveness of sin through the scriptures written by Jewish people, and to just tell them thank you for that. That could definitely lead to discussions. You're always looking for talking points. Yom Kippur is certainly an avenue for talking points about sin and how to deal with sin. You know, uh, a former director of Friends of Israel, Elwood McQuaid, had the greatest ways to love Jewish people, introducing them to the Messiah, the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Steve, I wanted to conclude our conversation today by talking about the next Jewish feast, according to Leviticus 23. That would be the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the 15th of the month, so that's five days after Yom Kippur. And am I correct, do they not, the Jewish people, do they not start getting ready for a Feast of Tabernacles immediately after Yom Kippur is over? Well, once the fast is over, Jimmy, they have a break fast, usually a nice 
big dinner, the family gets together, and almost immediately after that, they begin to build the tabernacle, which is, of course, five days later. So you're right, Jimmy. This is a special time when the Jewish people are remembering they're wandering in the wilderness, aren't they, when they build their sukkahs? That is exactly right. And that Feast of Tabernacles is going to be a forever feast, according to Zechariah chapter 14. Isn't that correct? That is correct, Jimmy. Zechariah tells us that Gentiles will grab the skirt of a Jew and want to worship in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, this has just been a blessing to be able to talk with you, Steve, and learn from your knowledge, first of all, of growing up as an Orthodox Jew, then coming to know Christ and recognizing all that the Lord has for the Jewish people through the presentation and then the observance of these feasts by the Jewish people. Thank you so very much, my good friend. I guess next time we'll talk will be Passover in the spring sometime. We'll talk to you then. Thanks, Jimmy. Very, very interesting conversation with Steve Herzig, National Director of Friends of Israel, on the subject of Yom Kippur, and then the next Jewish High Holy Day, the Feast of Tabernacles. When Tabernacles comes around, we'll have another conversation with a Jewish person who is celebrating living in a sukkah for a number of days. Well, Let's go now to a key region in our world as it relates to the prophetic scenario that's found in Bible prophecy. I'm talking about the European Union. I do believe it's the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. So we stay on top of the political activities there as they seemingly are setting the stage for the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. The man that does that for us, John Rood, lived in Brussels, Belgium for a number of years. John, just a couple of items to deal with, but they are major items. Number one, Boris Johnson, who's the Prime Minister of Great Britain. And this is the month of October when everything's supposed to come together as it relates to Brexit says the no deal is the only alternative to the Brexit plan. That seemingly is what he sent over to the European Union. What do we know about his plan for getting out of the European Union? Well, if there's any moment for last-minute deals, this is certainly the time. So I don't think anybody is able to come up with any shocking revelation at this time. But the Prime Minister, uh, Boris Johnson, he's, he's truly made an effort of what appears to be a compromise. And, of course, the main tension is the border with Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And so he has actually proposed that with the border they would leave the customs union and yet there would be a some type of technical uh, way to uh, monitor the border. So they would not have a physical check at the border, but it would be decentralized in some way. The EU has come back to that right away. They're basically saying that this isn't enough. And so the strange twist in this as well is that if there's no agreement by October 19, the prime minister is bound by law to ask for an extension of Article 50, which would give another delay to Brexit, it would probably look out as far as January 31st. So the EU is giving a very lukewarm response to the current proposals. It doesn't appear to be enough. And then the UK government now has promised to a UK court 
that the prime minister will send an extension request letter as required by the law. So what to make of the whole thing? It's hard to leave the European Union, but we will see a day when many nations will leave. That's, of course, the correct analysis from a study of God's prophetic word, because from 28 member states, which they are right now, they must be 10 different states or regions or locations as it relates to the prophecy found there in Daniel chapter 7, the 10 horns, and Daniel 2, the 10 toes. John, talk to me about the European Union. You lived there in Brussels, the capital for the European Union. Are they getting sick and tired of all of this activity that's going on with Brexit? Would they like to just get rid of them and let's go on with business? I've monitored the EU for decades, and they have what I would say would be a very slothful approach. In other words, it's a large movement that if it takes time, well, let's just take the time to do this. Although Brexit seems obviously unprecedented that such a major influence player would leave the European Union, the European Union has such a momentum behind it from its beginning that they will not give up on the political union, which is really the focus. All these other unification factors are leading up to a political union. And so this is what we have now, that the countries that will not go with the political union will be the ones that will start to fall off. Because Brexit is such a trial, actually was thinking this morning, this could be a sign that nations that do kick out will be more tumultuous. It'll be more of a serious fissure. So I think that the, the in terms of the European Union presence and uh, control, it will be more centralized, but there will be many countries that will not go with the plan. You know, it's interesting. You and I talk about Brexit quite a bit when we get together on the broadcast. But it seems to me it may well be a part of the activity setting the stage for the prophetic scenario to be fulfilled. One other item before I have to let you go, John. Talk to me about President Macron of France. There's a warning coming to him that he'd better quit appeasing the Iranian mullahs. And the people who are warning him don't like it. And it seems like he'd better get in shape. What do we know? Geopolitics is quite a topic. It appears that France basically is more in charge of the Iran dossier, let's say, for the European Union. And uh, historically, it had more ties, certainly with the oil. And so President Macron is being very reluctant to do anything to upset Iran, just from their historical context. But uh, we have to remember Iran is a state player uh, on very, very negative ground that they're arming and financing terror and militia groups. They're interfering in the, the internal affairs of several regional countries. And then came across a figure here, which is quite astounding, says a U.N. expert in 2018 says that in human rights in Iran, there are at least 273 people executed in Iran and 6,000 over 10 years. So the news is President Macron needs to stop the appeasement of the Iranian government and get to the more serious issues regionally, which will eventually affect Europe if not halted or altered. But the French government has responded 
by offering $15 billion of guarantees, credit, uh, however you'd like to say. And what they're essentially doing is pre-purchasing or doing futures on the oil coming from Iran. So they appear to be bending to the pressure from Iran in more ways than one. President Macron should take a look at the human rights violations, the terrorist funding, and have a new policy. Yeah, this all being a part of what we thought would happen because we read the pre-written history of how Iran and the European Union would play a key role in the end times. John, thank you so very much. It's a short report, but a key report to understand how the European Union and their political activities setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We'll have another conversation with you next week, John. Thank you. Very, very interesting month in Europe. Right now we're going to go to Mike Gendron. He is a longtime friend. We do a lot of conferences together when we can get together and fellowship. But uh, on the radio today, we're going to be talking about some of the activities in Catholicism and the Mother Church there in Rome, Italy, and the Pope, the supposed leader of the Catholic Church. Mike, thank you for being available, because I understand the Pope is inviting world leaders, religious and secular leaders, to sign the Global Pact. I want to know exactly what that is and how they're going to get together. Can you talk to us about that? Well, sure. He just made this announcement. It's an initiative for a Global Pact to create a new humanism, and they're going to do an alliance on May Fourteenth, 2020. The Pope is inviting, as you say, representatives not only from all the religions of the world, but also international organizations, various humanitarian institutions. But he's also inviting key figures from the world of politics, economics, academia, prominent athletes, scientists, sociologists, and they're all coming to sign a global pact on education So they want to hand on to the younger generation a united and fraternal common home. So this is what's going on. As you know, Jimmy, the Jesuits were formed to eliminate any opposition to Roman Catholicism 500 years ago. But one of the ways they've done this is to use education and hospitals to indoctrinate people with Roman Catholic theology. And so they've been very successful at this. The uh, Jesuits have now formed... 216,000 Roman Catholic Mm. schools. They're attended by over 60 million pupils, and there's now 1,750 Catholic universities with over 11 million students. So this global pact on education is nothing new to those who follow Roman Catholicism. But their ultimate goal is to indoctrinate students. They want to exchange truth with false information and also to replace Roman Catholicism with humanism. Anybody that's been listening to your program knows that the agenda of the Roman Catholic Church is to make the whole world Roman Catholic, to bring all people under the power and influence of the Pope, because their eschatology teaches that Jesus will not return until the whole world has been made Roman Catholic. Mm. Wow, that does sound very ecumenical. And that's dangerous, isn't it, Mike? Well, it really is. In fact, the Pope even quoted Hillary Clinton's favorite Statement. She says it takes a village to raise a child, so Pope Francis asserted that we need to have an educational village. 
And you know what's so sad, Jimmy, is everybody is falling in line. All these prominent people now are jumping on the global bandwagon and creating this globalism that the Pope has really been pushing forward at a very rapid pace. You know, his uh, papacy has come after John Paul II. He served in the papacy for 26 years, but he was the one that instituted the decree on ecumenism back at Vatican Council too, and he followed through with it. And then Pope Benedict came along, and and he also contributed to it. But no one has done the job that Pope Francis has in order to bring globalism throughout the world and the population. Now, I know you know the Word of God, Mike, so boy, this does sound like a move trying to begin the fulfillment of Revelation chapter 17, doesn't it? Well, it does, because there we read that there will be a global government, there will be a global religion, and a global economy. And the Pope has got his hands on all three of those. And it's really interesting how he's combining a global government with a global religion. A lot of people don't realize he's also a political figure, and that he is the head of the Vatican City, which is a sovereign nation, and that's why ambassadors from all over the world come and meet with the Pope and talk about a global government. So it's exciting to see, because I believe we're in the blessed generation that will see the return of the Lord. Mm. And as we get discouraged with all these things happening, we need to be encouraged that the Lord Jesus said that these things must take place before he comes. Discouragement leading to encouragement. I like that phrase. Well, one more thing I want to ask you about. There was one Catholic leader who was called the Pope a fool. Why did he do that? Boy, that that takes a lot to, to stand forth against the Pope, doesn't it? Yeah, I quoted this in my monthly newsletter that your listeners can view on proclaimingthegospel.org. But I reported on a Roman Catholic by the name of William Marshall that has identified the fool in the Vatican as Pope Francis. He's actually a a writer for the Federalist, and he said, I never thought I would refer to a pope as a fool, but it has come to that. If in so doing my fellow Catholics condemn me as someone blaspheming against the Mother Church of God, so be it. But after reading an article in the Wall Street Journal, which has the pontiff saying that it would be an honor that conservative Catholics attack me for not standing up for traditional Catholic teachings on marriage, sexuality, and bioethics, while instead opinionating on climate change and migration, I cannot hold my tongue any longer. And so, Jimmy, what this represents is that there is a small faction within the Roman Catholic religion that is against this Roman Catholic pope. In fact, there were four cardinals several years ago that got together to stage a protest against Pope Francis, Uh, but Pope Francis has been pushing them aside to the point where two of them have already died since they issued this pact, and now you have Roman Catholics such as this man, William Marshall, calling the Pope a fool. I think there may be a schism coming in the Roman Catholic religion, and that might be interesting as well knowing that this pope has really pushed a global agenda. We can only wonder, if there is a schism, what direction the religion will go. But I would say, from my own investigation, probably 90% of Roman Catholics are very loyal to this pope, and so I'm not sure the schism would really amount to too much. 
And folks, we're not using this time on the radio broadcast here just to simply attack the Pope for no reason at all. We're endeavoring to try to show you what's happening, current events unfolding, really setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And we just mentioned a moment ago, Book of Revelation, chapter 17. You may not agree with us, but check it out. See what your thoughts are. And for us who do know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Mike, this is a great open-door opportunity to try to introduce Jesus Christ to each and every Catholic and everybody else in the world, right? Well, you're so right, Jimmy, and I'm glad you mentioned that, because right now the average Catholic does not know who to trust. This Roman Catholic Pope not only disagrees with the Bible, but also with historic Roman Catholicism. He dares to say that there is no hell and that atheists will make it to heaven, and so Catholics are very confused. And as you say, it's a great opportunity to point them to the perfect high priest, the Lord Jesus, who is the personification of truth. His word is truth, and he came to testify to the truth. So let us be about the Lord's work, evangelizing Roman Catholics. Amen and amen. Mike Gendron, our broadcast partner today, with some very important revealing information about the Vatican and Pope Francis. I'm so glad we could talk with you today, Mike. Keep up the work, buddy. You're doing a great job, and we appreciate all the information you pass along to us. I hope to have a conversation again real soon. Okay, Jimmy, always a pleasure to be with you. Take care and God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I've got one more broadcast partner to talk with. That's David James. We'll have a very interesting conversation you don't want to miss. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the fourth segment of our broadcast, 90 Minutes Worth of Prophecy Today. We've asked you to give us that 90 minutes so we can give you the world with our broadcast partners reporting from different regions of the world on a number of issues. These issues actually setting the stage on these reports from our broadcast partners, helping us to understand how God's prophetic scenario found in his word is coming better into focus. Well, we're going to have David James talk to me about transgenderism in a moment. You do not want to miss that conversation. I want to remind you that we're going on our way. We're here in Tifton, Georgia, a stopping point. We set up a temporary studio here so we could uh, do the broadcast. After the broadcast, we head on down to Florida, Orange City, Florida, to the Volusia County Baptist Church. We just had a call a few moments ago from Dr. Mark Sears. He's excited about us being able to be there and have a one-day prophecy conference. We're looking forward to the time of being with him. That's in Orange City, Florida. Uh, the scheduled times for the services on Sunday, 10 a.m., 6 p.m., and then a prophecy Q&A at 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Be sure to come and join us for this one-day prophecy conference at the Volusia County Baptist Church in Orange City, Florida. By the way, before I get to David James, let me give you my poll question. I want you to answer it, if you will. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, you can find the question, As Jews mark Yom Kippur with no temple in Jerusalem in which to offer the sacred sacrifice, 
and with the desire for a Jewish temple growing daily, do you believe that Jews could have a temple in Jerusalem by next Yom Kippur? Now that's the poll question. Be sure to answer it. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James for our weekly conversation together on an issue that is confronting the body of Christ, the church. We need to have a biblical understanding of all issues that confront us today. And I'm thinking this is going to be a very important conversation as we look at the transgender pastors and the renaming of particular ceremonies. You don't want to go very far from the radio. You want to hear this conversation. David, a few days ago, you sent me an article that carried the title, The Trans Faith Takes Over the Church which dealt with some of the continuing advances of same-sex activities among those who identify as Christians. Talk to us about that. Sure, Jimmy. Well, it was definitely a disturbing article, and, you know, we need to make a distinction between those who identify as Christians uh, versus those who are Christians in the biblical sense, meaning that they've been truly born again through believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, LGBT activists are having an impact on true believers as well. The full title of the article is Trans Faith Takes Over the Church, Transgender Pastors and Renaming Ceremonies. So let me just read a couple of the paragraphs in that article to give our listeners an idea of what we're talking about. It says this, A pandemic of perversion has engulfed our society as LGBTQ activists demand that we bow down at the altar of moral relativism. But instead of providing clear biblical answers to this cultural chaos, Many churches have fallen in league with them by aligning the gospel message to conform with this twisted mindset. From non-binary deacons, the article goes on to say, from non-binary deacons that refuse to accept that they are either men or women to hypersexual church-sponsored drag shows to transgender baptisms and renaming ceremonies, the assault on biblical values has intensified. And when the article talks about non-binary deacons, they mean that there are people already serving in churches who don't identify as either men or women. Now, the word binary means something that involves one of two states. It's like a light switch. It's either on or off. Most light switches are binary. That's what that means. But now there are those who are wanting us to think about dimmer switches that we may have in our homes, which, which aren't just on or off, they have an infinite range of settings. So this problem has already infiltrated an increasing number of churches. My greatest concern is that the attitude of even conservative evangelicals seems to be moving. It's a serious issue, especially among those in younger generations. The tide is definitely turning. Yeah, absolutely. That is the case, as I observe what's going on in this world as well. David, before we get into some of the details, additional details in this article, I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about what you call this LGBT agenda. You have a course on current theological issues where you deal with this. Talk to us about that. 
Well, when it comes to those promoting same-sex relationships and all the various iterations of LGBT issues, and these are constantly evolving, there can be no doubt whatsoever that at least the activists in this movement have an agenda. So we're, we're not just talking about people who want to be left alone and live their personal lives the way they want. The top leaders and activists in the LGBT movement are on a mission to radically transform society, both here in the United States and around the world. Wow, that is alarming. Well, getting back to the article now, what do you think were a couple of the most important issues that they brought up? Well, one of the things the author noted was this, and I'll quote, The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of compassion and salvation, but in some churches that message has been warped to take the shape of explicit support and even promotion of gender confusion and sin rather than an ethic of faithful marriage between men and women. You know, Jimmy, this is not about homophobia or transphobia or whatever you want to call it. It's about whether or not the church is going to support and give cover for those involved with things that God has clearly identified as sin. You know, homosexuality falls into the category of deep sin, just as does adultery and other forms of sexual immorality. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, it even falls into a list of sins that even includes murder. This is serious stuff. Another thing is that the Church of England has instituted renaming ceremonies. And so this includes rebaptisms and rechristenings, for those who decided to identify as the opposite sex, including even young children. And one United Kingdom a newspaper recently ran a story about a seven-year-old whose mother said how important it was to her that the church's rebaptism ceremony affirmed her child's change of gender. This We're talking about a seven-year-old child. And now the Church of England now advises its clergy to re- refer to transgender people by their new name. And to illustrate just how bizarre this has become and the trajectory that this is on, a member of the same clergy who once presided over the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, that person has now asked for those in the Anglican Church to pray that her great-grandson, Prince George, who's only six years old, that they pray that he might become a homosexual in order to increase tolerance for the LGBT community. There is just no way, Jimmy, to describe this as anything other than sick, which is exactly what you described it as when you wrote to me in an email as we were preparing for today's program. Well, absolutely. And that's uh, not the only word I could possibly use. It's really twisted for sure. And one of their points in the article that is so twisted was the attempt to justify the renaming of people to a name of the opposite gender using the change of, for example, Abraham and also Peter. Their names were changed by Jesus Christ. Talk about grasping at straws. I mean, these people are just shameless, aren't they? Yes, you're exactly right. So according to the article, apparently some compared the renaming ceremony to what God had done with Abraham and Peter, and it was noted that some outlets like the Huffington Post were willing to lend support for this sort of supposed gender fluidity that culture is now endorsing through name changes. But, you know, there's no connection that can be made or none at all. In Middle Eastern culture, names are connected with identities and personality traits. So God commanded the change in Abraham. Abraham's name from Abram, as this slight variation, gave him 
the identity as the father of many or the father of nations. This name was God-given and an important symbol of God's promise to Abraham that he would become the father of a very important nation, the Jewish people. And, you know, in a similar way, God changed his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah, which means the mother of nations. And going to the case of Peter, Jesus gave him that name in Matthew 16 as part of a play on words related to Peter's confession that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So the attempt to hijack these two events in order to justify renaming people due to gender identity issues is the worst kind of grasping at straws, as you just said. You know, it's similar to the kind of thing that Matthew Vines tried to do in his book, God and the Gay Christian, in which he argues that the Bible supports same-sex relationships, and he does it by twisting the biblical text to fit his own personal agenda. And unfortunately, this kind of thing we're up against today, uh, this is what we're up against, and far too many believers seem to be falling for these tactics that are being employed by LGBT activists. You know, it's quite interesting, David. I just read in my quiet time for this morning, Genesis chapter 17, where the Lord did change Abraham's name, Abram, to Abraham. Very interesting as we are having this discussion today. David, you also sent me another article coming out of the United Kingdom. And this one was about a Christian doctor who was fired from his job because he refused to refer to a biological man as a woman. I've got to ask the question, has everybody lost their collective minds? Well, when it comes to what's happening in the U.K. and much of Europe, many really have lost their minds. It's a tragedy, and it's beginning to happen in the United States as well. It's really difficult to fathom what in the world is going on through some people's minds. They've abandoned both science and logic in favor of emotionalism and sensitivity to the LGBT agenda. In in this particular situation, this doctor, who is apparently a devout Christian, he had worked as an emergency room doctor for some 26 years. Then he was fired because he refused to refer to a biological man as a woman. And the court's ruling stated the following, Belief in Genesis 127 lack of belief in transgenderism and conscientious objection to transgenderism, in our judgment, are incompatible with human dignity and conflict with the fundamental rights of others, specifically here, transgender individuals. So, Jimmy, we're talking about a direct attack on the Word of God itself by the courts in the United Kingdom. And what many in the United States fail to realize is just how brilliant our own founding fathers were when they crafted our Constitution and the protections they gave us in the Establishment and Free Speech Clauses in the First Amendment. If it weren't for those protections, anyone in the United States could run afoul of the liberal judges in our courts. And fortunately for us, over 150 originalist federal judges have been appointed over the last two and a half years. And that makes it very awesome in the reality of what could happen. David, as we wrap it up for today, I know that one of the things you bring up when you talk about the transgenderism in your course is the matter of the resurrection. And when you were in Uganda just a couple of weeks ago, someone on the Word of Life staff even posted your comments about this on Facebook. Remind us of what they were. 
Right. So the academic dean for the Word of Life Bible Institute happened to sit in on that session that I was teaching on the LGBT agenda, and he mentioned that particular part of my teaching in a Facebook post. And I was discussing Bruce Jenner, and I'd shown a couple of pictures of Jenner when he was a decathlon gold medal champion back in the 1976 Summer Olympics. It was actually the year I graduated from high school. Then I put up a picture of him as Caitlin as he appeared on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine a few years ago. And my point was that no matter what hormone therapy someone may go through, whatever surgeries they may have, everyone will die and everyone will be resurrected. And this resurrection is of the physical body, and they will be resurrected with exactly the same genetic makeup they were born with. They will spend eternity as that gender. And so we always need to think biblically about everything in life. Yes, indeed. That's the bottom line. What does God's Word say about whatever issue we may be discussing. David, great information, great research you did for this conversation today. I think it was needed so appropriate for the times in which we're living. We'll have another conversation next week, so we'll be ready for that when you come to the broadcast table once again. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate it. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to open up God's Word, the Bible. We're going to compare what the current events reported by our broadcast partners are today and how it fits into the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
On Prophecy Today weekend, we have some excellent reports from our broadcast partners on current events that are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Let me just remind you that our broadcast partners are in different sections of this world, and they are on top of all the details behind the headlines that we bring to your attention, both on my website, prophecytoday.com, with the top 10 news stories every day, but at the same time with their insight into what is going on. In a moment, I'll rehearse their lead stories and then give my prophetic perspective. But first, let me remind you how you can listen to these reports if you had to miss any of them. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, where we archive all of these reports. Be sure to listen to all of the reports and then send a message to a friend that they can find these reports, listen to what they are saying about current events, and help them understand that there is a prophetic scenario that is prepared to be fulfilled in the very near future. Again, that website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN for these interviews with my broadcast partners. Now let me take a moment to look at their reports and give you my prophetic perspective. Ken Timmerman, in his leading story, talked about an assassination attempt on Soleimani, an Iranian military leader. I want to remind you, this leader, Suleimani, is the head of the Kuntz Force. That's the Jerusalem Force, and he's the one responsible for trying to get control of Jerusalem so the Mahdi, their Messiah, will come back to life, go to Jerusalem, and set up a worldwide caliphate. Iran is reporting that Suleimani miraculously was saved from the assassination attempt. Earlier in the week, another military leader said, no longer is the destruction a dream, it is reality. I believe the supposed assassination attempt on Soleimani is simply setting up for Iran to have a reason to attack the Jewish state of Israel. David Dolan talked to us about the Middle East news update that he is so capable of giving to us on a weekly basis. And we talked about the fact that President Rivlin, president of Israel, is saying that Israel is in a crisis right now. They need a government immediately. Israel is in a crisis at this moment. Their enemies are seeing Israel is weak. They have no stable government in place. This is a time that they would possibly attack the Jewish state. Iran is ready to make that attack. Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 5 mentions Persia. That's modern day Iran. And Daniel 11 verse 44 talks about murmurings out of the east. That is referring to Iran there in that prophetic passage as well. And then Steve Herzig came to the broadcast table. He wanted to give us information about the awesome days leading up to Yom Kippur, 
And then what happens after Yom Kippur as the Jewish people prepare for the Feast of Tabernacles? Yom Kippur is the holiest of the holy days in the seven feast days mentioned there in Leviticus chapter 23. More specifically, Yom Kippur is talked about in Leviticus chapter 16. Remember, the Jews need a temple in order to qualify for what God's plan for them is on Yom Kippur. Again, Leviticus 16, for that sacrifice there must be a temple, and that sacrifice was to take the blood of the goat and put it on the mercy seat. By the way, Jesus Christ, when he returns, according to Hebrews chapter 9, will enter the Holy of Holies. Now, Jesus on the earth has never entered the Holy of Holies. That was the responsibility of the high priest once a year. But Jesus will enter that Holy of Holies on the temple that he builds in Jerusalem when he returns. And then the book of Ezekiel chapter 43 says that he will bring those Jews from Petra across the Jordan Valley, up the backside of the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, in through the Eastern Gate, and go into the Holy of Holies, where he will rule and reign forever. John Rood helped us to look at the European Union. Boris Johnson is making his statement that the Brexit deal is going to be a no deal, but that's not being accepted by the European Union. 28 European Union member states, Brexit would take out one, that would be Great Britain. Then the others who want to leave will leave, and that will come down ultimately to 10 states or 10 nations, As mentioned in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, that will become the revived Roman Empire, a major player in the end times. That's why we report these political activities found in Bible prophecy for the European Union. Mike Gendring gave us a report about the Pope wanting to have all world leaders sign a global pact. Now, the Pope is setting in place a global society And not only a religious society, which is Revelation 17, but a political society as well. That's Revelation chapter 18. And finally, we talk with David James about transgenderism. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said, sexual perversion. That's the sign that Jesus mentioned there in Matthew 24, verse 37. You know, all of these reports help us to understand the times in which we're living. It's a time which is talked about in the scenario found for Bible prophecy. And as we look at these current events in light of biblical prophecy, we can recognize we're at the point when the next event will happen. No prophecy has to be fulfilled before the rapture takes place. And that rapture actually could happen today. When you stop to think about that, you have to realize where we are, what God is doing, how close we are to leaving this world and going into the presence of Jesus Christ. Dear friend, are you ready? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You need to be prepared for that event. And then in light of what we do know, live pure as it relates to the soon coming for the rapture of the church and be productive until it does happen. You know, that rapture could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.